cliffcentral.com. Thursday morning, cliffcentral.com, and we are joined this morning on the burning platform by two fantastic guests. You know them both because they've both been on here before. Uh, the Burning Platform is brought to you by Nando's. Every week we check out all the big stories in current affairs. And today we have Franz Cronier and Lito Ndoba. So let me start off with you, Lito. Lito, of course, is well known to uh, to people in the free state. He's a lecturer at the Central University of Technology. He's a debater and a socio-political analyst. It's good to see you. How are you, Lito? I'm good in yourself, Kara. Yeah, good, 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 good. Always good. I'm glad that you've got some uh, internet in the free state. That always makes me pleased. Um, we have it sometimes, like as always, like no. everything else, actually. Don't worry. So. D- don't feel too bad because we had load shedding here this morning at my house. So uh, everywhere is imperfect, not just the free state. And Franz Cronier joins oh. us. Franz, it's good to see you again. Uh, last time you were a real hit on the show and people begged for you to come back. <laughs> France is an analyst. Well, I'm back again. Indeed. He's the CEO of the Institute of Race Relations. He's published three books, directs the Center for Risk Analysis, which is a Joburg-based strategic intelligence think tank that has advised a great number of corporations and government agencies around the world on South Africa's long-term economic, political, social, and policy fronts. And, uh, gentlemen, it has been a, a good week for us to discuss and, and uh, unpack some of the big issues. Uh, perhaps we could start with um, something which is maybe more symbolic, but I think it does have political overtones. And, and uh, Cyril Ramaphosa had to make a speech at the uh, funeral of King Goodwill's Relatini. But the Zulu nation is still very much a force in South Africa, and the king has played his part over the years in politics. I think it's worth referring to his stance on, on immigration, his stance on same-sex marriage, and more importantly, his stance on land reform, which I think has been quite instructive uh, when it comes to figuring out what perhaps the great majority of, of South African rural populations may well think about these things. So, Franz, do you want to comment on King Goodwill's Relatini and, and his contribution or his, uh, his controversial, uh, controversial comments around uh, some of the political issues? Yeah, it's significant, I think, Gareth. Hmm. Good morning, Lito. Nice to see you. Um, the combination, I think, of the king and Prince Putlezi hmm. was politically very shrewd, a combination. And uh, Prince Putlezi's now had a very long political career in the country that won't last forever. Hmm. And there's a transition. Oh, neither will he. He's what, he's, he's, what, 95 years old or something this year. So, old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you see the exit from the political stage of both those gentlemen at the same time, mm. the implications are tremendous of that. And the one that I'll probably look at the most closely is the fact that to the left of South Africa's political spectrum, uh, including within the left of the alliance, the ANC alliance, there is a deep uh, resentment for the idea of uh, monarchy in South Africa and the influence that it's had and the extent to which it has always been shrewd, is the right word, about the long-term intentions of the ANC towards the Zulu nation. And I think more than anything else, what that combination, the combination of those two gentlemen did was to preserve a degree of independence in Natal. And the king threatened that outright about 18 months ago on the question of 
the Ngunyama Trust, which is, 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 is another question to discuss the standing of that trust. But if that influence is lost, Gareth, now, then there is very much a risk that the left of the ANC could make for the first time great political inroads into Natal. So we have to wait, see who the success is going to be, and right. then in office, what is the line that that success is going to take? If it's going to be along the lines of that, that the King and Butelezi put together, then a degree of independence is preserved in Natal. If it's not, then I think the political implications are far greater than anyone understands. And while perhaps it's worth referring, that, and, and Lita, I'd like to have your comments on this, but while it's, it's, um, it's not a, an outright political institution, the monarchy, it did give some succor to conservative views among you know, older Zulu people and, and particularly more traditional young Zulu people. It gave them a feeling that even if the politics of the day weren't particularly conservative, there were institutions that would contain and promote those conservative values in society. Um, and, and as Franz says, those may be on the wane with the, the exit from stage left of, of these two uh, important leaders. Of course, we've still got Mangusutu Butelezi, but he is a very old man. What do you think, Lito? Um, I think, you know, for the most part, the, the institution itself was very important. But when, in a time where I think black people in the country are starting to recognize the importance of, of culture and, and sticking to, your, to, to the conservation of your culture. Because before this, like even, even like this week, you see how people feel pride in the processes mm. of, of the funeral procession in and of themselves. So it shows you that people are going back to this sort of original state of saying, well, I am a Zulu and I'm proud of it, and yeah. which was not in the mode for the past 20 or something odd years. And so, um, but I think, secondly, when you think about the, like the, the monarchy itself, it represents, uh, like the, these 28 princes represent the whole gambit of the South African political spectrum, if you think about it. They are the radicals who would most likely side with the EFF. They are people who, who are more Western educated, who are more likely to side with the DA and like sort of the center and the ANC. And so I think the, the succession is going to be very important. But I think the conservatism right now is on, is on the resurgence. And I think whoever becomes a successor should play on that, should play on the fact that people want to be connected again. They want to be connected to their roots and their cultures. Right. Now, I think that's such a valid point. Um, we've got to return our attention to something that's happening in Johannesburg for a minute uh, and, and come out of KwaZulu-Natal because we've been talking a lot, and every year it seems to happen at this time, about student politics. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on at WITS. Um, you know, a, 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 an innocent bystander, effectively, was killed by the police. So there are a number of issues that we need to unpack here. A student was also apparently shot with a rubber bullet, but you know, she's okay. Um, we always have student issues around this time of year because we have uh, access problems. We have financial inclusion problems. We have uh, a, a, an idea that also that university is the only way out for some people. And therefore that, that you, and you would know this as a university lecturer, Lito, that there's a desperation that is wrapped up in the access to tertiary education. And if you don't get that, you are condemned to a life of rural poverty. So people will do everything they can to get to university and then find themselves unable to 
you know, comply with the, the financial requirements or with the academic requirements or anything else. Uh, there's also the, 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 the protests, which often um, do anything but win the public over. And the taxpayers are included in that group of the public who are then required to subsidize these students. And it doesn't always look as good for the students after they've behaved in the streets rather badly than it might if they didn't. Um, I interviewed, uh, uh, interestingly enough, Mkebo uh, Lamini just yesterday, and that'll be broadcast next week. He's got some interesting insights, obviously having been arrested and being part of the Fees Must Fall protests uh, back in 2015 and 16. He has some interesting things to say. But what are your feelings on, first of all, the student situation, and second of all, the idea that this is really another example of police brutality. There's a person who's dead because the police shot him. He was coming out of the clinic. He wasn't even involved in the protests. And his family are justifiably upset about this. If this was America, it would be George Floyd. Um, I think that's true, right? And um, the way the police reacted is, is the craziest thing. But also the way the government reacts, the way the department reacts, is even crazier because when they showed in court yesterday, um, the the um, the department then says, "Oh no, nobody gave them an order to be there and shoot people with rubber bullets," and so they're being thrown under the bus. What you have is just four guys who thought they were doing the job they're supposed to be doing because in every other student protest, it's like their it's their pastime to shoot black kids with rubber bullets, right? And that's what they do. And so this time when they do it, because somebody died. Now it's a whole big problem. Now you weren't supposed to do it. I think that's the one problem. But then secondly, I think as far as these student protests go, right, everyone across the board agrees there isn't enough money. Even the students agree. Mm. The president of Saudis was saying that on TV the other day. He said, we agree that there isn't enough funds. The problem is the mismanagement by the NSFAS, right? Mm. And the exclusion of universities in the process. Because now universities are just passengers. And that creates an even bigger problem because the students don't know where to go and who to talk to. But then lastly, I think when it comes to the student protests, the other thing is I come from the free school, right? Um, And so the Central University of Technology actually had the protests the first time I came when you showed the protests were on. Right. What the students are complaining about now, our students already negotiated for and got this time around. And so that's why you don't see the Central University of Technology striking, especially the Welcome campus, because they have all of the concessions that they need. The registration fee has been waived and included into your fees, all of that, right? right. And so... What, you, what it shows that what you need is a proper management of the systems and not necessarily like this, um, like this idea of everyone coming to university for free. I think even the students can see that that's something that is beyond their scope, right? And it, it's, it's irrational. Hmm. And so what you need to do moreover is to manage the systems properly and actually just basically burn the whole NSFAS office down and like try something <laughs> new that's better than what we're getting now. Wow. But also, we also need a government that that should, that should stop writing checks with their mouth that their asses can't check. Can't check right? Listen, I mean... At it, the end of the day... Let's remember that uh, Jacob Zuma was the one who, when he saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to be there for long, he promised free education and... Uh, and then left this problem for the next administration to deal with. And Bladen Zimande, who's mostly roundly despised by the students, um, 
you have to, even though I'm not a fan of Blades in any way, you got to feel a little bit sorry for him because he's been left this this really poisoned chalice to have to try and deal with, and I don't think he knows how to. No, but the other thing is, Blade in and of himself, you don't put Blade at the top of the education department. He claims to be a communist. Mm. You can't then say to, to kids, yeah, no, this guy who claims to want to advance socialism, we're going to put him at the top of the pile that since 1994 <laughs> you've been promised to be free. Remember, students have been promised this all the time. Right. So they see a communist and they say, ah, no, finally we're getting what we need mm. because this guy's views are aligned to the promises we were given. Mm. And so our government wants, needs to, like our politicians need to stop promising things that they can't, they can't fulfill because when you're talking about the poverty thing, right? Mm. When you see that the gap or like the way out of poverty is narrow, mm. and then somebody says, ah, if you're in first year, we probably will not fund you this year. Mm. You probably also go ballistic, right? Yeah. They cut funding. Like, let me show you simply. If you live in Kronstadt, Bethlehem, Welcome, versus Bron, your way out of like your economic conditions, you either become a nurse, a policeman, a soldier, or you go to university and try to get a degree. Right? right, and so if if uh, um, spending is cut to all four of these, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to become despondent, and then the next thing you're going to do, which is which has been taught, and I think very badly, that if in order to get the attention of the government in this country, you need to start burning things or throwing no. a rock no, no, or singing it. out loud, and I think what, that's the biggest now, problem. Now, what well. do you make of this? And, and France, let's not uh, let's not give the, the Free State too much credit, but I know you have a soft spot <laughs> for the Free State too. So you and Lito have that in common. But but what what do you make of his comments, and what do you think of the whole student situation and the police brutality discussion? Well, the Free State's a great place because we, we gave you Ace Mahashula amongst many other things. So. <laughs> yeah, you guys you owe us big time. You shouldn't think we're an uninfluential backwater. Um, it's the craziest <laughs> thing, Gareth, because it's easy to fund all the students. There's more than enough money to do it. If you take away the money we spend on crap, such as this ridiculous airline without pilots that, 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 that keeps getting bailed out time and time again, or the cost of preferential procurement financing in parastatals, the student, the money to pay the students so that they can study at university is there. It exists and it's not actually such a lot of money. The, um, priority of uh, taxpayers, I think, should also be to press for um, what is in practice, I'll qualify it in a second, free higher education. Really? Because I, I pay tax, as uh, yeah, as you guys pay tax, I'm sure. Yep. And uh, the one thing I'm happy for my tax to go towards is to take some poor kid who on his own wouldn't be able to get into university and to give him that opportunity so that he gets a serious shot at a better life. It is absolutely the best investment you can make as a South African. Now, that's such an interesting to, point to, of view. Yeah. I mean, I would have thought that, that maybe, maybe because I've, I've, you know, read quite a lot that you guys put out at the IRR, and maybe this is your personal opinion. So you're not even speaking for the IRR here, but I think that that's a really interesting take and perhaps something which aligns a lot of people who are not normally aligned in South Africa when it comes to political issues. It's, it's a, look, the IRR doesn't have positions because we've got such a, a, a esoteric collection of brilliant people. You can't tell them what, but my colleagues are free to disagree, in other words. Yeah, right. But, but as long as I'm in charge of the place, which I still am to the end of the year, 
Let's make this the IRR position. And uh, it's long been so. At the time of the fees must fall protest, when they first started, Gareth, we said, pay the students. The money's there. Now, of course, the left of the debate ignored all of this because it's far too inconvenient to to give us any credit for something like this. Uh, The one qualification we add to that is we want to do it this way. If you go to university in South Africa, you should have the option to have your studies and everything that goes with that financed Mm -hmm. uh, through taxpayers. Mm -hmm. If you accept that option, black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter who you are, you can do that. If you do that, attached to your income tax number for the rest of your life is a little sort of asterisk, not not really an asterisk, Mm -hmm. which means that you will pay a fractionally higher level of income, but it's a fraction of a percentage point. All right. Higher level of income tax for the rest of your life. And Lito, you're shaking, that, your, you're agreeing. Money, you're agreeing with this. You think this is a good plan. Goes back into the, back into the pool again. Mm-hmm. That's, how, de- that's how it's done. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree. Like, I know hundreds of people, like my one, um, my one colleague who went to, to school through NSFAS, right? Um, paid up everything that he needs to pay. But he himself said, I don't feel like, he says, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And so I'm going to make this one-stop payment now because I get a proper salary. And I don't want to, he says himself, I don't want to take one other black child to university. I need to take as many black children to university as possible. And so what 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 um, um, France is saying is, it makes sense, right? Because if you if you give more to these institutions, then you can do more. Because... Look, I've seen a guy who lived in a dilapidated shack, like him and his grandmother lived in a shack that when it rained, all, almost the whole thing just came in. The weather systems were operating inside of, that, inside of that shack. When we were undergraduate, he graduated along with us. Right now, his grandmother is in a house, he's a teacher, he's doing well, and he's helping kids in his community. That would have never happened if he never had the funding to do that. And so it makes well, his life better. He's sounds, also inspiring other students. I mean, it sounds to me like a, a, a very good point that you've both made here and something which I've got to be frank and say I haven't really considered before. But if we're going to spend money anywhere in South Africa, then let it be on education and let it be on helping people to get degrees to, to advance themselves as far as possible and pull up their communities at the same time. I just want you to finish your point, France, because I, I, I didn't hear anything from you yet about the police brutality and the fact that these protests get out of control, whether or not there's a better way to do that. There's a much better way. You should go have a look, Gareth, and you can. I think you'll do a great show on it. Something called Standing Force Order 262. That is the internal police order on the policing of protest actions. Mm-hmm. Now, what you see when the uh, what passes today as the riot police that that used to be a very very expert crack discipline unit mm-hmm. is there, there's no way that anyone is complying with a single element. Of, of force order 262. Um, so it's, there's, there's been a complete breakdown of discipline, training, order, uh, lack of respect for the officer call straight through the police. So that, that we see immediately when we look at the television images of this. There, there's no riot policing strategy, Gareth, that involves stuffing your pockets full of shotgun shells and running around the streets of Bramfontein like a madman, yeah. firing at everything in sight. This is not, there's nothing like no, that. It's ridiculous. It's just, yeah. it's just pathetic. And it, it reflects, of course, the, the top. 
and and the 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 the, the minister who is a moron mm. uh, and knows nothing about policing. So of right. course it's not going to work. Secondly, there is a very serious problem in the shooting at your citizens with rubber bullets. Rubber bullets are a terrible weapon. It's essentially a rubber-coated ball bearing. And it's, only, it's not coated in rubber to make it hurt less. It's coated in rubber so that it will bounce off the ground if, if policemen use it properly. Then it shouldn't shoot directly at someone. They should bounce them off the ground a good distance in front of people. Now, that doesn't happen either. And you can go here all the way back to 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 Fixburg and mm. the shooting of Andres Tatane yes. in 2011. And I remember in the aftermath of that, because he said, shoot me, and policemen shot him point-blank range in the chest with a rubber bullet that penetrated the chest and, and killed him. And we wrote at the time to the then minister, and we said, listen here, you guys are, are clueless on what you're doing, and this is going to blow up on you. And, of course, for, for the minister, that was a big joke. Uh, the IRR telling us we know what we're doing. Uh, 18 months later, the police shot dead 30 mine workers one afternoon at Marikana because of the same thing. And we can be damn lucky that this hasn't happened time and time and time again, given the ruthlessness and brutality and just sheer anarchy with which the police uh, uh, police protest actions. But you, you'd swear, the, you'd swear on, those, on you'd, right you'd the, swear that yeah. those incidents, by the way, would have changed their their tack, and they would have sat down and very seriously considered, particularly, you know, the the, the new government uh, that Cyril Ramaphosa tried to put together, because it it affected their reputation so very badly. And if there's one way to get politicians to pay attention, it's that. And Marikana seems to have been a moment that everybody stopped and took a deep breath and said, "Hang on." This is not going to cut it for, for, for all of us as citizens of this country. It was almost in the vein of, and we're celebrating on the 21st of this month, Human Rights Day, which back in 1960 was, was marked by Sharpville and those 69 people who died then. No one's forgotten that day. Um, certainly not the people who, who bother to pick up a history book. Marikana is still very fresh in our memory, and the police are not learning any lessons, France. The technical term, Gareth, is morons. Yeah. We're governed yes. by morons. Yes, and Becky Taylor is not it's covering absolutely himself in right. glory. Yeah. You, you, you can, of course, go be, become more sophisticated in your analysis. Mm. But, but, but the, the, the term is, is morons. Mm. To allow the student thing to blow up on the ANC in the manner that it has, yeah. when it could be such an easy win. You know, and, and Jacob Zuma had, oh, was, of course, a strange person. Mm. Um. But I, I think, and I'll say a lot of things this morning will surprise a few people, I think from talking to the man that he wanted South Africa to be very successful. Remember on HIV and AIDS, Zuma turns on the Mbeki era policies mm -hmm. and opens the way to, to the ARVs in, in a big way, and he, he saves hundreds of thousands of lives as a consequence. Right. Now, you know, he's also a kleptomaniac, of course. Yeah. And, but but there were these aspects to Zuma. And when, when, when people say, oh, this is a poison chalice, he passed to Ramaphosa, free higher education, I think there's more to that than that. I think that there was a deep understanding of the good that it would do. All, 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 all uh, sort of great political leaders, in, in the proper sense of the word, in the sense that they have this enormous influence in their societies that, that Zuma had, are somewhat of an enigma. Hmm. And, and I, of course, understand the extent to which Zuma wrecked the country. I don't sure. dispute that. But there were corners of Zuma 
that were more complex than that. Yeah, and, and he, this was one of them. And he's so, but the, the, but this policing, Gareth, it's it's stupid. What they what's happening? But but then if you appoint a moron to lead the police, yeah, then the police will shoot well, dead a family man in the streets of Bramfontein, and uh, th- th- that will happen. But the, the, if if you if you deny if you try and bail out this ridiculous airline, mm-hmm. which 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 isn't an, it's now called, you call it a line because it's not the air doesn't doesn't fly anymore. <laughs> it's like the comic right. made about the South African Air Force some time ago. It's no longer the Air Force; it's now yes. the force. Yes, the the you do that, you get the money together. It's a big national debate. The media all over it. How how can we do this? Fly again? Get yes. someone else to come here. We'll fly us around. On the policing stuff, on the student stuff, and how they come together, you see the extent to which it's it's actually easy to, in some respects, to govern South Africa well. But plain decisions are taken in the Tuli House and in the Capitol. I just want to stick with uh, Becky Taylor for a moment or two, and and Lito, feel free to jump in here, but I've I've got a clip for you guys to see, which uh, just it blew my mind. This was on Newsroom Africa. I don't know if you saw it, but it happened just this week, I think. Um, I, I can't be absolutely sure, so I'm just being careful about when exactly this took place. But it has to do with the police intelligence minister uh, or, or the police intelligence chief, who the minister doesn't seem aware of uh, whether or not that person is actually in place or not. And when asked by the journalist, you know, what do you know about this? He reiterates that he has no idea of what's going on. Just watch this and you tell me what your thoughts are on this, Lito, and and France. Whilst we're on the issue of leadership problems at the South African Police Service, the fate of the crime intelligence head, Peter Jacobs. Just first up, is Peter Jacobs still head of crime intelligence right now? I don't know. How can you not know, Minister? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> but that would be astounding, Minister, for a whole minister to not know who the head <laughs> of crime intelligence is in the... I mean, it's it's really, that's quite disturbing. So when you say morons, that that's unfortunate. There, there he is justifying your, your use of the term on national TV. Hmm. No, it's very upsetting. <laughs> But for me, I think the worst part is also the best part is the worst part of the interview. Yeah. The best part is, you know, he didn't want to lie. He didn't want to politic. I know. He just looked straight into the guy's eyes and said, I don't know. Mm. And then he's like, oh, no, do do you want to, do you want to like sort of cushion it and PR it? No, no, no. no. I have no idea what the hell is happening. So if you're working in crime intelligence right now in South Africa, you could go to the office and proclaim that I am the boss. You could probably go there, Gareth, and say, I know, Peggy told me to come here. Mm. I'm the new boss. It's, so what are they doing in those offices? Who is giving commands? Because that's what the policing structure is. It's command and control. That's all it is. And so if if your minister says, hey, man, it's Monday. So hey, whoever wants to be boss is boss. I think the biggest problem is you know, the, the ANC, the structure is put on is that we are, they're putting people in position because we need more, 
like we need more more of your members, the people who support you. So if you don't put Begitele somewhere, his base in the KZN is probably going to turn against you. And so what do you do? You give him to the police, one of the most important parts of South African society. You give it to somebody who, one, has no idea what he's doing, but two, seems like he, you could care less. Because remember, the first time he was police minister, he was shoot to kill. That was his whole motive. Because that to him, that's all the police are. You have a gun, shoot them. And so, like, the, the idea that this guy is a police minister, and he's still in that position, is the strangest thing to me. But the, on the other hand is, he is the perfect example of everything that's wrong with South African governments. The fact that a minister can sit there with a blank stare on his face and say, I don't know, and still mm. think it's okay. Mm. He still thinks he can be police minister today. After he looked at a report and said, ah, it doesn't matter. Let me ask you both quickly, since we're on the issue of police, and we know that the, the, the George Floyd trial is going on at the moment, and, and Derek Chauvin, this guy who's 44 years old, he's a policeman, he is being charged with murder in this case. It's obviously a very contentious issue because if you were a, a juror in Minneapolis, you'd really be putting your life on the line here. Um, it's it's not the kind of jury duty anyone would be asked, anyone would want to be asked to do. Um, if, let's say that the, the jury find on the facts that Derek Chauvin is not guilty of murder, and let's say that you know, the evidence that George Floyd was on enormous amounts of fentanyl, that he had a pre-existing condition and all of those things. And the, and, and these am, amount to him essentially being found not guilty of murder. That's not going to go down well with the crowd because the narrative has already been sold that this was a police brutality, cut and dried police brutality murder. And the protests that ensued and all the movements that took uh, an enormous sway in, in American culture and society during the course of last year and which uh, had an enormous effect on the politics of America last year. If all of that turns out to have been as a result of someone who was on drugs and had an existing condition and it was not the policeman's fault, or at least it was not entirely the policeman's fault, that's not going to go down very well. And they're already preparing for riots. They've got enormous amounts of security around there. They could dox these, you know, jurors, and these people would never be able to live in peace again in the United States if they do find him not guilty. It almost forces them to find this guy guilty. I mean, what? What? How do we get out of this ugly situation? I think, uh, Gareth, that um, the on on his example on the. The, the Chauvin example. I, I mean, the, I'm, not, I'm not totally familiar with, with, with how the U.S. technically, legally would define a, a murder as mm. opposed to some other form of homicide. But, but my expectation is, is for a conviction of, of some sort here. But your, your, your broader point is correct about the pressure that juries are placed under. And the solution to that in America is actually a review of the jury system itself. Now there, there's of course split opinion in the states on that, and there there are some some good legal thinkers who say the jury system works very very well. But I think in an era where you get these uh, mobs of of social media uh, fascists mm. who tear to pieces anyone who holds an alternate opinion, uh, that will hasten the debate in America. 
about whether juries remain appropriate for trials like this. You, you're probably in a better position where you have a learned judge mm. uh, who's a tough chap, as judges should be, who yeah. will make the call on the facts without those pressures uh, weighing on them to too great an extent. But the, the effect of this trial and the effect of, of George Floyd's death on the American politics of race has been enormous, Lito. Do you agree that there's there's more to this than just a murder conviction? If if the guy isn't charged, I mean, if he isn't found guilty of murder, there are going to be consequences. But even if he is, it's not as if we can avoid the consequences. Um. Yeah, look, but also I think more than the, the racial politic of America, it, it was a direct attack on the American psyche, right? Hmm. Because America sees itself as this great nation of upholding rights. When somebody gets choked to death on video, you mm. can't then say everyone is equal here. Yeah. But I think, I, in my opinion, Chauvin is not going to get convicted because this is a harder case for the prosecution. Because remember, when in America, I forget the, the type of um, immunity given to policemen and women, because the, the, but the general um, definition of it is if a policeman or woman has been um, convicted of the same exact thing, like in the same exact way, only then can the next one be convicted, right? And so it's a who did it first kind of law. Right. And so you have to prove as, a, as the prosecution that this has been done before. That's how American cops get old on, on like after killing somebody is because it hasn't happened before. And so it can't happen to me. And so that's going to be the one thing. But I think the second thing is the the American condition and even the jury system is going to be tested now because we saw somebody get murdered. Whether or, whether or not he was on like a huge dose of fentanyl or he was just acting crazy, sure. when, you, when you do that to him, the, the problem then is, and I think the question that's asked to, this, to American society is, who are the police in relation to minorities in that country? And what is their role? And so I think that's a question that's never been asked before. And going forward, Derek Chauvin is not, in my opinion, is not as important as he's made, as he's made out to be because he's a symbol of a system that has been okaying that kind of behavior. And so now it's the chickens have just come home to roost because somebody had a camera while right. he was choking someone to death. Well, just by and the, so, just. Just by the way, I mean, this is this is a, a. It seems almost a point that doesn't require any saying. The autopsy showed that he wasn't choked to death, so already this is not looking good for the prosecution in this respect. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so right now, it's it's harder to just convict Chauvin, mm. and and so what's going to happen in America is that the jurors are going to be in the firing line, right. but also. <clears throat> Do we do we protect the system by just like you know what? Let's just sacrifice um, Chauvin. Let's just let, let the public see you bleed, right. and let's and let's get the cohesion. Or let's follow the law like we've been following it because that's a principle, right? We've been following the law like this for hundreds of years. Let's follow it and let's do this because policing is so complex in America. We need to protect how the police. Um, how they do their job and how they react, because that's what the justification for their right. immunity is. Let's and so now the question is: Do we let who who do we let down? 
who do we think is a better letdown, the police unions or the people that they police? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, I do want to move back to South Africa briefly. And, and France, I want to come to you on something that you've been very involved in, is this Stop Citizen Abuse campaign that you guys have been behind. Just explain to me what this is, because there's no doubt that South African citizens feel abused. We just mentioned the police. We just mentioned how students feel abused. But the taxpayer has been abused probably the most over the period of the last 20 years. Um we we keep being promised all kinds of rights as as citizens of this country. We're told that we have a government that is compassionate, that cares about us. We're, we've got human rights enshrined in our constitution. Um, but there are people who have horrible, horrible lives, um, who live in abject poverty, who, who require government handouts because they just have no other way to make a living. There is no employment available to the majority of South Africans. Uh, here, Lito is trying to teach young people to get out there in the world and to be able to find their place. But th- thanks to a ruination of our economy, there is an unlikely chance that those people will find meaningful and gainful employment. And then there's the that tiny sliver of people, 4 million or perhaps 5 million people in this country who have to keep the wheels turning and have to try and build businesses and and then are abused as well in their own way. How do we make sense of all of this, France? And what precisely is the campaign? What's the idea behind it? Okay, citizen abuse is a new IRR campaign. It's a term that we want to put into common usage mm-hmm. in discussing South Africa. And in fact, the Chauvin thing is a great intro to it because because what happened there was a case of citizen abuse. And we can go back and talk about that again a bit later. Sure. What Two more things to say. So this abuse happens when your circumstances, prospects in the world, mm-hmm. are uh, undermined through actions that originated within the state. So in South Africa today, if you've got if your highest level of education is matric, you've got a forty percent chance of of having a job. Now that is about half the comparable figure for developed and developing economies. Right. The reasons for that is that the policies of the government, as they relate to the economy and as they relate to education, deny you the opportunity and, and, and millions of people sure. at that sort of a, a job. I mean, it's, it's the building block of everything else. So that's citizen abuse. Mm. We estimate that within the middle classes, if you factor in the performance of pension funds here in the past decade and, and the stock market, therefore, and you factor in the devaluation of the rand against that, that a normal middle-of-the-road middle-class family has seen its wealth reduced in the past decade by a margin equivalent to if that family had faced a 50% wealth tax. And the reasons for that are the uncertainties sure. about investing in South Africa, stunted growth, etc. That's citizen abuse. Those uh, pensioners who, who were queuing up for their uh, grants when the water cannons were used to enforce social distancing. I mean, morons, Gareth. Mm. Really? Yeah, exactly. Is this- no. I mean, with the television cameras rolling, and, an election and, coming, and pensioners, I mean, the most the most vulnerable people during this pandemic, it, the people who needed you can't make this stuff up. You couldn't it's, be. It's no. beyond anything. Citizen abuse again. We're trying to do three things on it. Number one, we're trying to teach this to people. Explain that in many cases, doesn't matter what level you suffer on, 
the unemployed, desperate, poor suffer terribly. But middle-class households that have been crushed and are struggling to afford school fees and are worried about paying their bonds, they've also been a victim of this. So we're trying to teach this, number one. This is why you you are, are stressed out and don't have the prospects. Your family doesn't have, you can't, your kids don't have the prospects. It's citizen abuse, and this is where it comes from. Second thing we're trying to do is to is to head off what will be future attempts at divide and rule. As the pressure on the ANC builds, we, we poll a lot on our sort of consulting and advisory side. And amongst young people now, Gareth, we're polling ANC support at below 50%. Mm. Uh, and we, we're telling clients, 2024's election, a hell of a close thing. And we think the ANC can lose its majority there already. As that happens, and as the fiscal pressure on the government builds, the running out of money problem, just Mm -hmm. pause there for a second, the budget deficit at the moment, which is the difference between what the government spends and what it earns in revenue, has only been eclipsed three times since the formation of the Union of South Africa. The most recent was when apartheid collapsed under Piervia Buerta, as the contradictions collapsed its economy. Mm. The previous occasion was the Second World War, which the deficit was instrumental in the defeat of Smuts in 48. And and the previous occasion was the First World War. So as the ANC runs out of money... In other words, it brought about the, the, the fall of that particular government in every case. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, deficits change governments because you run out of the money to right. meet your promises, as 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 our fellow guest uh, explained this morning. Exactly that. So, so as the ANC runs out of votes and runs out of money, and a third mm-hmm. thing it's run out of is electricity. I've got some fantastic new numbers on that. <laughs> what we expect it to do is to do what every South African government has done or whoever's tried to run the place for 400 years is divide and rule. If you tell one group in society of citizens, the problem is not us, it's those citizens over there. Mm-hmm. They screwed you over. <laughs> so you tell the poor, the problem is the rich. You tell the unemployed, the problem is the employers. You tell black people, the problem is white people. And you ferment the kind of sense of impending racial nationalist uprising to get white people to believe that the problem is black people. What we're trying to demonstrate in citizen abuse is that that doesn't work anymore. Because we're polling, now it's a wonderful thing, here's a good news story for the morning, (laughs) that seven out of ten South Africans are broadly in the same place on what they want out of the future of the country, the policies they believe are necessary to get there, and thirdly, this is the stonker, seven out of ten South Africans actually seem to have some affection for each other. If, if you ask the d- deep polling <laughs> questions, I'm not surprised. they seem to kind of like each other yeah. uh, across every line of race and class and history that you can understand. Because the poll questions that come back to us when we ask people in the calm of their own homes, what do you actually think about that guy over there? You know, do you think he's a, a, a bloodthirsty, knuckle dragging Neanderthal with murderous intent who wishes to destroy you? And they actually say, no, we don't think so. We actually think they're just, you know, someone who's trying to get through the world in the same way we are. So we're trying to, number one, explain the problem, citizen abuse. Mm. Secondly, explain, don't be tricked into turning on each other now. Because the other citizens, even if they're richer than you or poorer than you, they are not your problem. They are not the problem. The third thing we're trying to do is to start to highlight 
as a consequence of one and two, which is happening organically in the country, communities that are standing up on their own and saying, you know what, Pretoria is probably not going to do it, but we can do it on our own. We right. can start to build – and that, that can be a little thing, like you, you fill the pothole in the street. Yeah. It can be a big thing, like these, these, these early case studies of some communities taking over municipal functions right, completely. Like, uh, Harry Take Smith. back yeah. from the state right. its responsibilities within your community and build big, strong, resilient communities of people who are independent, who can then network with each other to build a great country as far as it's possible, in the face of, of, of a moronic government. Well, that's, uh, that's strong stuff. Lito, you were smiling and nodding your head. Uh, I suppose you agree with that uh, largely? I do agree with that largely because also, like, I think the, the case can, is also making itself in smaller municipalities. So what we're seeing in smaller municipalities and poorer municipalities is the ANC manufacturing crisis, right? They don't collect the garbage for 10 months. And then somebody gets a tender to collect garbage for 10 months. Included in the tender is a new garbage truck, by the way. Um, you find um, they put in, like, new lights. Um, they cut the lights um, occasionally so that the guy who, got, who gets the tender keeps getting the tender and and um, and just basically keeps kickbacks to, to the ANC. Hmm. And then the last thing that just happened in Belgium, by the way, in Tabong, what, what happens is they when they switch on the water, so they will switch on the water every day at 4 a.m. So they switch it off at 8 in the evening. 4 a.m. They, they switch on the water. You can actually hear the pressure coming from the pipes. So house rattles. What they're doing is they're bursting the main pipe that leads from the station into the, into the township. And what that does is occasionally they didn't fix it. So what happens last week is we don't have water for six days, right? People start to riot. Five hours later, the water is restored. Apparently, the pipe is fixed. So they're manufacturing crises and paying each other by the hour. And so people are starting to feel a camaraderie with each other. Like the white police officers that live in Ribekstad, it's like literally where I live, it's less than a kilometer. They were like, now nah, we can't make it into the township. They literally stood at the police station and said they are not coming. And so that's starting to show that the misery that we're being put under is forming a sort of alliance between the people. And so the people are starting to understand that the enemy is not each other. Mm. It's the state. It's yeah. the politicians. Yeah. Even like, I was talking to people about um, um, sort of like the Section 25 being amended. And so a lot of black young people were saying, so... If, I'm, if I get given a farm right now, I can't work that farm. I can't be productive. And so that's not a way out of poverty. So people are, still, are also thinking about their ways out of poverty. Do I have a path out of poverty if this policy is implemented? And many young black people are saying, I need an older white farmer to mentor me. And so if I create an enemy out of that farmer, that that farm is not going to become my way out of poverty. And so I think people are starting to think... <laughs> deeper well, about the problems that face them and they're starting to to make an image of themselves that is devoid of all the political machinations that South African politicians are trying to put onto the people. 
Listen, I'm I'm really pleased to hear that, and and it, because it's happening at that level, it will start to spread faster than anything that propaganda and politicians can achieve. France, I'm I'm also blown away, but not entirely surprised. It's just it's encouraging to hear the results of the the, the polling that you've been doing on the way that South Africans feel about each other and how we actually have each other's backs. We actually like each other, and we don't trust the politicians. Um, so no surprises, but I'm kind of pleased to see that the numbers are tallying with what we've all been feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's not. It's it's. I say to my American friends, I think here yeah, our social fabric, which is an awful term, mm. is much stronger than yours. <laughs> and I think the reason is 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 exactly what's just been said, that we we have in South Africa far more in common across these historical dividing lines now than we realize. Mm. One thing is crime and the fear of violent crime mm. because farmers who go to bed worried about being tortured to death with drills and boiling water are are not in a different place to desperately poor communities mm. who are terrorized by criminal elements mm. that exist uh, uh, almost near in cahoots with, 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 with local police. Yeah. So that, that common sense is there. Desperate efforts are made on the political left and the political right to convince the two constituencies that, that now you've got nothing in common with each other. In, in practice, there's a lot. And as the economy has been sinking for a decade, slowly it creates this camaraderie. And years ago, a prominent communist here said, one day poverty and unemployment will be our revolutionary asset. And it will show how capitalism has failed and will use it to to bring about the final stages of the socialist revolution. And I think we can turn the tables on that chap and actually show him you were wrong. Your your big call was wrong, because at that moment, which is now starting to play itself out, the unemployment. You know, there are less people employed in South Africa today, Gareth, than 10 years ago, including in the informal sector. That is that is the job creation track record. No. It should actually have doubled if if you yeah. consider our our labour market absorption rate. I think you can turn the tables on that, and I think there is that the the, the thing that's bringing people together. It's a it's a strangest irony, is that the the slippage in our society, if you call it that. You know, this, this chap's now shot dead by the policeman in, in Bramfontein. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some person who's, you know, the, this fear that exists through the middle classes of of the blue lights in the rearview mirror, mm-hmm. that, that, that the police are bad and dangerous mm-hmm. and will intimidate, extort money from me, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's becoming a common societal trait, and it's desperately important yeah. that we use this. It's an asset now. We use this to deny the politicians the chance to do divide and rule, right. to say to people, you have a common experience, you actually have common purpose. And if you stick together now, at this moment, you will pull off the great unmet challenge of South African politics. It's never been done before. At a moment of crisis, for the moderate middle to hold together. And right. if we do that, a future election, I have no doubt, probably this decade, 2024 or 2029, can be the inflection point well, from which we can build a great country. Thank you both very much. If I may, Gareth. You, you may, but um, please, if I may, please keep it brief. Yeah. I, I do have to wrap this up. Just briefly. Yeah. So just to Francis' point, right, I want to show you an alliance of unlikely people. 
um, protesting the like the horrendous roads in the free state. There have been pockets of protests that are organized by taxi unions and farmers unions, mm -hmm. and they have been protesting together against the deteriorating states of the roads in the free state. That shows you exactly where South Africa is. You would have never thought that taxi drivers and farmers will be protesting the same thing. <laughs> love that. I do love it. What a poetic point to end it all on. Lito, thank you very much. Franz Cronier, thank you very much. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Burning Platform this morning, but we're not finished with the Burning Platform. I'm going to say goodbye to Franz and to Lito, and I'm going to turn our attention to someone called Darren, Darren Hampton, who joins us now. Hey, Darren, how are you doing, man? Hi, Darren. I'm good. Let me add you. Don't uh, do not do anything there. There we go. Darren is um, with Nando's, and I wanted to talk to you because, you know, Nando's has been a part of our, our burning platform now for almost seven years. We've been involved with you guys. You do incredible work. And I, I do want to just reflect briefly on the fact that Nando's may have the most incredible advertising, and, and people do love your advertising, but you also do amazing, amazing things. I mean, you've got art in every one of your stores across the country that is designed by local designers. You support unbelievably good causes. Your own people, the, the Nandokas, as you call them, are all absolutely devoted to what you do, and you've looked after them during this pandemic as well. And I think it's really, really cool to see that now there's another campaign coming where Nando's wants to help people in need by collecting panic-bought tins of food and helping to redistribute them to children in South Africa. Tell me about where this comes from and, and what's behind it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's to your point, it, it's season two of, of uh, an objective or an approach that we uh, that we agreed on at the beginning of the pandemic, which can you believe it is basically sure. this time last year. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot that we didn't know at that time. There's a lot that we as a business needed to turn off. So we had to turn off the grills, you know, at, level, at, at, level, at lockdown level five, we had to turn off the lights in some circumstances. We had to turn off a lot of our plans and our marketing activities that we that we had on the cards. Um, so there was a lot that we didn't know. We didn't know how much, you know, uh, what this was going to do in terms of the business and cash flow. But uh, the one thing that we were never going to turn off um, was being an active part of what South Africans were thinking, feeling, and believing. And I think, you know, that's a that's a, something that Nando's has built its reputation on over, over the last 30 years. Um, so whether that be, you know, how we talk with people on our social, uh, our social platforms, um, and, and really empathize with, you know, how we were all feeling as the various stages of lockdown, uh, took shape. Um, or on the other side of the spectrum as a food brand, um, look at where we can get involved to, uh, you know, solve the or help tackle the very real problem of hunger relief. And I think, yeah. uh, the pandemic has, has, you know, basically ignited that problem. Um, and, so, so just yeah, and that's that's where it was born. Just tell me quickly what you know, because obviously this time last year we were panic buying. People were. Do you remember the toilet paper situation and <laughs> how people were running around trying to squeeze toilet paper out of everywhere? And now you might be sitting with shelves full of, of as you call it, panic bought food. Tell me how we can donate and where it goes to and how you guys are managing this, just so that we can have some idea of, of what the, the process is. Because people aren't going to pitch up at a Nando's unless they're sure they can give the stuff to, to you and, and, and they know that it's at the right place and so on. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, the apocalypse was about to hit, right? So, uh, so our pantries were loaded with pilchards and beans and uh, anything yeah. that wasn't going to expire over the next, you know, right. three years. Um, so, you know, now, now I think, and, and that's largely where the insight of the campaign was, is that you know now we are, are providing an actual use case for those uh, for those tents, um, and it's a it's a mechanic or an idea that I think where everybody wins, right? So. Um, the, the, the essential, you know, the literal take out of the campaign is that um, we want your tins, uh, we want your food because we know a few people that could could really use them. Mm. Um, and so, if you if you uh, using the Nando's uh, online platform or the app, mm. uh, if you place an order, you are able to select the fact that you want to donate a tin, whether you're donating to the delivery driver or coming into one of our restaurants. Um, we take that tin and we, in exchange, give you a free uh, portion of chips. Awesome. So, you know, you win there. And uh, we then, you know, collect all these tins that we gather uh, and we're working with partners to distribute that to um, early childhood development, so preschools uh, around the country Very important. Um, that are in, in absolute need at the moment. Yeah. So that's that's the basic premise of it. So I love it. It's called Tin for Chips, right? Tin for Chips. Like as literal as we can get, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, I mean, who wouldn't want to exchange some horrible tin of something, which most of us are not going to get to anyway for some nice fresh chips from Nando's. So go along and be a part of this. It sounds terrific, and uh, you can you can obviously help. I like the fact that you can do this online as well. It's not just uh, something that you have to be in, in person uh, to do. And you could participate by ordering through the Nando's my mobile app or online for delivery or collection curbside as well. You can mix peri-peri with pilchards and chicken with peaches as we put all the can in South African. I love it to pieces. Well done, guys. Again, uh, leading the way. So thank you, Darren. Thanks, Gary. No, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you. the support. Yeah, always always good to check in with, with Nando's. Of course, they've been a part of the burning platform, and there you had some very optimistic and positive news from Franz Cronier and from Lito and Doba just now. And uh, we finish it off with Darren giving us another reason to be pleased to be South African, despite all the craziness happening in this country. Nowhere else we'd rather be. Darren, thanks so much. Good to see you. Absolutely. Cheers. Likewise, guys. Appreciate it, man. And Cheers. And the uh, Burning Platform is brought to you by Nando's. You can check out episodes on the podcast. You can get podcasts of every episode of the Burning Platform by going to cliffcentral.com. And next week, we will no doubt have more things on the agenda. If you want to suggest any guests, if you want to suggest any subjects that you think are worthy of discussion, um, please let us know. Just send me an email, gareth at cliffcentral.com, and we would be pleased to have you join us next week. Cliffcentral.com.